We want to welcome everyone to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And joining us today, we're really excited. We've got Robert Toteros, who's composer and owner at filmnoise.com. Let's jump in and get to know Robert. Robert, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Now, we're thrilled to have you here. And we're so excited to talk about your career and all the work that you're doing. And first, let's start with a little bit about Robert. Robert, tell us about you know, where you grew up, where you're from, and give us a, a sense of sort of your family growing up. Yeah. Even before I answer that, I wanted to say to you guys, this is actually my first podcast. So oh, wow. I've never been on. So there you go. That's, that's, I'm excited. I grew up in a town called Chester, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yeah, probably not. Have you heard of it? Because I have. I, I'm. I'm. I live in Edison, New Jersey. So oh, okay, I'm not that far. Okay, okay great. <laughs> so I. So I live near the Jersey border, South Jersey border, at Chester, Pennsylvania. Chester. I mean, it's a little rough growing up there. It's. Um, I think right now it's the fourth highest murder rate in the country. I mean, I had a great family, great home life. My mother and my grandmother raised me. Uh, I had a lot of friends. I was very lucky. I had friends also I grew up with, but they were not so lucky. I mean, but it was, it's a tough place filled with good people. So I was born and raised in Chester. Later on, I, during high school, I was allowed to attend Temple University in Philadelphia for music. I started music really early, like I was three. And my grandmother insisted that I play the piano because she had tried and it hadn't worked. And my mother had tried and it hadn't worked. And she was like, that boy's going to play piano. So they set me down the piano at three years old and I actually took to it. So they were very happy. So uh, I've been playing for a long time, took up guitar after that. Then, you know, did what every kid does, take the lessons, that sort of thing. In high school, I went to performing arts school, but I, they also let me take college courses at Temple. And after that, I, uh, I moved to New York, did a lot of things you do in New York. I went to music school, but didn't do so great in music school. I think I wasn't that into the structured environment. It was a very classically oriented school. So that wasn't for me. Did the rock band thing, got quickly signed and then dropped to a label, you know, bouncing all over. It's sort of like the failed musician's playbook. And um, after that, I lived abroad for years. I moved to Greece of all places for two years, played music, casually but not really and I took like a two-year break and I came back then I was a singer-songwriter traveled all over the country as a singer-songwriter Borders Books if you remember Borders Books doing all that circuit because they actually paid money and you could sell CDs there that didn't really I mean it worked but it didn't and then I was like oh. I said to my girlfriend who's now my wife I think I want to move to LA and try being a composer for TV and film and so that's what I did. And I got very lucky. And, you know, I was the kid who watched too much TV. You know, all the mommies and daddies out there, even right now, it's too much screen time, too much screen time. Well, a lot of screen time actually worked out for me because like, <laughs> I love TV and I love music. So I got very lucky. That's, that's pretty cool. A, a lot of travels there. A lot of travels. Yeah. A lot of strange jobs in between. I've been a paralegal in a law firm. I've been... I mean, this was years ago. I haven't been in an office in like 20 years now, but like I've been, I've been everything, man. I was a blackjack card counter. Like, mm. it was, <laughs> it was, I want to hear I more worked. about that in a little bit. No, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Ask me anything. I got a million stories. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear about that in a little bit. And I, I'm fascinated with, you know, how, how do you think, you know, traveling and getting to see so much and then also having a lot of those different experiences, how has that impacted who you are today? And, you know, how's that influenced you? I think when you travel a lot when you're younger, so much stuff happens when you travel, right? It's just, it's one surprise after another. It's not like even living in your own city where you're like, oh, I know how to get here. I know how to get here. You learn through osmosis. Even when you move to a new city and you're an adult, you know, especially if you speak English and the city speaks English and, you know, if you're, you know, you're in America or whatever, that's fine. But when you travel when you're younger, it just, it's a learning experience. You could just, nothing really rattles you. Like there's just a, you know, you learn to ask odd questions to get what you need to. You learn to talk around, like if someone's trying to sell you something else, you know how to avoid that and, you know, say what you need to say or ask what you need to ask. I feel like travel, everyone should travel when they're younger. I feel like it should be good high school gap year or two to travel. If, you know, obviously this is about money, but I had no money when I was traveling. I just, Really, I lived very cheaply, and it was, you know, it was the late 90s, so it was easier to do that now. You've composed and written for, uh, you know, dozens of television shows and commercials and even feature films. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing body of work. Tell us a little bit about how you got started down that career path. Uh, there was obviously a, a lot of different uh, sort of music influences, but, right. um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you, how you ended up where you are today there. You know, it's... Like I said, it was a lot of, it was like traveling. It was a lot of turns around corners. I had no idea where I was going. And I did say to my wife, let's move to LA. I'm going to try film composing, but I had no idea how I was going to get involved. Also, I was a live musician, which is a totally different kind of thing. I was play guitar and sing in front of audiences, you know, play piano and sing and that sort of thing and rock bands and being a composer is is complete. It's a completely different animal. You're, it's collaborative. You're working with people. You're working with people who have more of a say about your music than you do a lot of times, the directors and producers who say, we want this. You're a singer-songwriter. You're writing about who broke your heart or why you're angry or what's happening in the streets. And it's a completely different kind of thing. Yeah, fascinating. So my wife happened to... She's a teacher. She was teaching at Penn. She's now at UCLA. We got here. She was kind of lonely. She missed her friends. And she saw on Craigslist an ad for professional women who want to just have dinner, you know, talk and meet up. And, you know, now you can, you, there's the app meet up and all that kind of stuff. But back then it was just Craigslist basically. And so she went and one of the women was a composer. And this is when we first got to LA. And my wife said, oh, my husband is interested in being a composer. And she's like, oh, well, you know, let's keep in touch. So she kept in touch with her. They became really good friends of ours. And at one point, she was leaving her job as an assistant. And a lot of composers get started as assistants. So I knew nothing about the technology, believe it or not. She helped train me on everything I need to know in like a matter of like five days. And uh, she got me this job where she was leaving this job. And now she's the composer for Captain Marvel. So she's like a big deal. Wow. So, yeah. So everybody has like one person or more, if you're lucky, it puts out their hand and says, let me help you. And she was one of those people. Wow. Wow. What do you love most about being a, a composer, Robert? 
um, number one, I love being in the studio and just making noise, putting it together, mm-hmm. making it become something. There is something so, I can't even really describe it in words, but like when you find that right sound or that right vibe or that right groove and it goes with the picture and you're like, it takes the picture to a whole different level than even the director or producer was intending. There's something so special about that. And you know it when you had that moment and you just feel it and you start rolling with it. And then the end result and you look at it and now you're telling a story, a whole story mm. versus when they had just the temp music in there because all the, they always put their music they like in there. And, you know, and you're, they say, oh, do something like that. They mean that and they don't. They don't want you to take too many chances, but they want something unique that makes it their own. And when you find that perfect little thing, it's just the most exhilarating feeling. Nice. And so, uh, yeah, it just, it feels amazing. That, as Eric said earlier, I mean, you, you've got a ton of projects that, that you've worked on. Is there, is there one that stands above the rest that you're like, yeah, that's, that's my go-to one. That, that's the one where I was in the zone the whole time. Is there, is there one or two that stand out to you? All right, I'm going to admit to you something. You're never in the zone the whole time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that were true. Um, any composer says I was in the whole zone the whole time. I don't know, question it. But I, right. I, I think, gosh, you know, man, I've been lo- so lucky. I did a project for LeBron James Company, and it's called uh, Cleveland Hustles. And mm-hmm. it was just about, you know, the rejuvenation of parts of Cleveland. and that project just felt great because you're trying to capture like a sound of what it must sound like to rebuild something, mm. hammers and nails and sweat. And also trying to, you know, you're also trying to entertain people. So it can't be, you know, it's got to be music that moves. It's got to be music that's about momentum. And that I loved doing that because it was so unique. And I love the show Cold Justice. I do a show called Cold Justice that's for Dick Wolf's company and Magical Elves. And that show you're literally solving actual cold case murders. Like it's not a put on, it's not with everything that's going on in the world right now. It is the best part of law enforcement, right? Cause there's so many questions we all have and so many things and we've all been through this. And if you're black, you've really been through it and you've seen it. And there's part of you that says, oh, you know, another cop show, another whatever, but this is these women led by this Kelly Siegler, who just, she's a former prosecutor. She goes town to town and helps people who have lost somebody. And that's real, you yeah. know? And you got to honor those people with your music. You can't do anything too corny. You can't do anything too, you know, melodramatic, ooh, suspenseful. You can't do that. You have to, I mean, there's those moments, right? But you yeah. have to underscore it in a way that tells that story authentically. And that is just, it's an honor to do it. It's, there are a few, few things in show business where you can actually help make a difference. There's, and there's the show Sugar Rush, which is on now on Netflix. And that's just pure fun. And Lord knows we need that right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, I have more people telling me right now. It's like, oh, I finally got around to watching Sugar Rush. Man, that's great. Like, and that's, that music is just about just that great feeling of making something. And it's more like electronic dance music, you know, EDM. It's like moves, but it's just like people making stuff. It's like 
there's not a negative thing about the show. It's just people making cupcakes and, you know, and sweets and stuff and like, and people who want to be great at what they do. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of those kind of shows, but it's a special thing. And the way Sugar Rush does it, I think it's a really, it is really special. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you, you know, you mentioned obviously lots going on in the world right yeah. now. 2020 has been some year in, in so many different ways, right? Would love to, to pick your brain and get your thoughts on what, what is the state of the, the Black composer, if you will? Is there diversity issues in your space? And, and I asked that question not knowing anything about your space. So really, you know, trying yeah. to learn more. I'm happy to fill you in. Yes, there is. There are a lot of diversity issues in, in the Black composer space, it, the female composer space, the Black composer space. There's just... There's a lot. I, I, I think, I mean, look, it's always been a thing in Hollywood where people hired what they know, who they knew. And, mm-hmm. and even I get some of that, you know, people have worked with me before and they say, hey, come on, do this project. For the longest time, those writers and directors and producers were all white. So they hired all white composers. So it makes sense, even though it's wrong, that that's what's been going on. Mm-hmm. I think what, you have now is a situation where the writers and directors are changing, you know? I mean, and that's what we hear about mostly, right? Like Lena Waithe, the writer, Lena Waithe, who, you know, who wrote Queen and Slim and the director, Ava DuVernay, right? Who's just needs no introduction. And, you know, Ryan Coogler who did Black Panther. And like, these are big names. And the fact that we know their names is a big deal. It's like, I like to think of it as a second renaissance. The first one was when I was a kid and Spike and John Singleton and like, you know, but mostly men, right? And now you have women really, I mean, just stretching, telling amazing stories, right? And I think that it's amazing that we know their names. It means that it's changing. But I can also name you 20 white directors off the bat and you'd know who they were, you know, or actors or writers, because of just the osmosis of Hollywood, right? And you don't have that yet with Black writers and directors. And you definitely don't have it with Black composers. I mean, in television right now, I could probably name you six or seven. I'm sure there's more. Mm. But there's hundreds of composers. Right. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, those numbers are, are off. Like, you, know, you can't have hundreds of one thing and six or seven. Six or seven. seven. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and sometimes there's composers, we see each other at parties back when people used to see each other and black, other black composers be like, hey, like, it's just like a thing, you know, and as, as some of them are, are breaking out right now, there's, I think, two or three black composers right now nominated for Emmys. Mm. Uh, one is female. So, I mean, I think that's, that's amazing. So there's progress, but the pressure's got to be kept on because otherwise, you know how it goes. Like, yeah. The pressure's not kept on. The progress fades as of what we're seeing now. Robert, I want to ask you about, you know, all of your experiences. I'm guessing you've had issues of discrimination. Uh, I'm curious about what those were and like how, when when faced with them, you know, how did you overcome some of those things? So I feel like there's two ways to answer that. One is discrimination that's been personal, which has been plenty you know, and a million little things, obviously, and a few big ones. When I lived in Europe, even, I was beaten up and attacked by some neo-Nazi skinheads. 
So, yeah, and I ended up in the hospital with stitches in my head and a cracked skull. I could feel like my skull actually through my through my head. It's a strange experience to have when you're touching your own skull. Yeah. So I had that happen. That was a long time ago. But that is one of those things that, I mean, look, when you're a victim of any violence, it's always in the back of your mind, no matter what. You're always kind of looking over your shoulder, even if it's 20 years later. That's just how that goes. You know, there's been a lot of little things in the business. There's probably been discrimination I'm not aware of. It depends. I've been lucky in the sense of I've also, like Dick Wolf, the producer of Law and Order and all those things, he hired me to do a show that's about this white woman who's from Texas who travels around the country to help people. Race was never an issue, you know? So there's plenty of producers that I've, you know, and, and the music is very much like, you know, guitar, twang, sort of like, well, plus suspense. It's an unusual kind of hybrid and not a lot of African-Americans have been known for doing it. It doesn't mean they couldn't, we can do anything. But the thing about something like that is that they were never prejudging me whether I could do it or not. I'm sure there's been plenty of that. I had a woman once say to me on a soundstage years ago, she said, oh, Robert, uh, you know, if we ever need some hip hop, we'll definitely give you a call. And I, I thought, well, you know, I've been to music school. <laughs> I write for orchestra. I play guitar. You know, I have, <laughs> I have a lot of influences out there. You can't work as a composer if you only have one. And even if you start out in one, you learn to do other things because it just doesn't work like that. And I love hip hop. <laughs> I mean, it is still mostly what I listen to, but come on. Like, and I remember I was, I was younger and I was sort of stunned into silence. And I was like, I, you know, and I said, and I just looked at her and I said, you know, I do other things. And she was sort of surprised that I had come back at her in that way. You know what? It wasn't life or death. I have a friend of mine who's a female composer who talks about how people thought women couldn't do action movies, right? Like, why not? What's the difference? You know, so there's definitely still a lot of that, a lot of prejudging, you know, and as a result, you might not get the job. Thank you for sharing your experiences and some of those experiences of others that you've, you've come across and, and how you've dealt with them. I'm curious about folks who've impacted you or, or influenced you. And some folks have mentors, some don't. Did you have anybody that sort of mentored you in, in, in your space? And then are you working with, with some other folks to sort of maybe bring them up? You know, mentoring, I mean, I'm not sure, like, I guess I think of a mentor as someone you're with all the time, but if it's more casual, I've definitely had some. And a good friend of mine, uh, Pinar Toprak, the one who now does Captain at Marvel, she's one of those people I can call and ask a really stupid question. You know, like, just any stupid composer question that all composers can, other than the composer can answer, but that you might feel like, I should already know the answer to this question. You know, I, I think that's a big thing in life, right? Of like, who can you, you know, in your 30s and 40s, call and ask something really dumb that you should know the answer to and trust that they're not going to be like, you don't know that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I ask her a lot of those questions. I worked for a composer, Rob Duncan, as a, he's a TV composer, as an um, assistant years ago. And he was also a person that he really helped me out early on, got me my first TV show, recommended me for the job. I had to get it myself, obviously, I had to audition for it, but he recommended me for the job. 
you know, so yeah, I mean, in a more casual sense, not somebody I work with 24 seven, but I feel like if I can ask somebody questions and you have these non-judgmental answers, that's a big deal. And I've always wanted to be that person in people's life. Sometimes I've been that, there's a young guy who's the nephew of a high school friend of mine who's just starting his music career. He writes me all the time through Instagram, like messaging. And he's asking, well, what should I use here? What should I get here? What do you think of this music? And I'm always happy to just sit there and listen because somebody's got to do that for you. Somebody did it for you if you got anywhere. It's always the case. Nobody ever does anything on their own. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you draw inspiration from, Robert? If you're a composer, a lot of times you draw it from the thing you're working on. Hopefully you're working on a project you love or at least that you like and respect. You know, I have a wide variety of influences, people I love. And behind my shoulder right now, there's Miles Davis there and Eddie Van Halen there too. So, you know, so I go for the world is a big place, you know, filled with amazing art from people from all backgrounds and all worlds, you know, it's sort of shocking how much great stuff there is. And I feel like I'm constantly exploring, you know, constantly looking for, you know, not even just new movies and TV shows and that sort of thing, which are stretching boundaries these days, but just, you know, just, I mean, I read obsessively and you draw it from everywhere. I think just there's, if you look around, even though it's hard right now, because you're inside, (laughs) if you look around, there's inspiration everywhere. Absolutely. What would Robert today tell a younger Robert 20 years ago? What advice would you give? Don't be scared to put your foot forward. I think that part of the thing about this business is the imposter syndrome. Mm. And, you know, that's in every business. And I think that people that talk openly about it, there are women that talk openly about it, but it happens to all of us. It happens to men too. Yep. We, I don't belong here. Everybody in this room is different than me. And sometimes that's about race. Sometimes that's about experience. I have been in that situation where I was the assistant and nobody would talk to me. And then after my, during my first TV show, I was the guy. And everybody's like, Robert, what do you think? And then I didn't know how to answer because nobody had ever asked me a question before. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I look around for another Robert. Like, <laughs> are they talking to me? I think you got to tell yourself, you got to realize there's nothing to be scared of. Mm. Nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to, somebody might say something, but you know, who cares? Right. Like to put your foot forward. I know Facebook is on everybody's S list right now. Can I curse during this? I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <Facebook> <laughs> right now. Real talk. <laughs> I don't want to be like, Oh, he was, cause I've been very, I've been on good behavior. I didn't know if he was <laughs> much nastier. We can do a whole other interview next time, but, <laughs> but Facebook's on everybody's shit list, but they do have that thing that says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And that really, even to this day, even to this day, I'm afraid to like, send this email to this guy. And, you know, what if he's never heard my music? What if he hates my music? You know, mm. but what do I care? Like, what? who cares? Like, how many producers are there? Like, it's not, nobody's going to ruin your career. They're not going to throw me out of show business. You Worst that's going to happen is someone's going to say no. So- Worst that's going to happen is someone's going to say no. And then I'm going to go have dinner. Yeah. Like, and I wake up the next day and find somebody else. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fun question I definitely want to ask you. I ask all the the guests that we have on the podcast. 
Give me the top three apps that you use on your phone. Oh. You can't name email or calendar or text messaging. Well, it, luckily it's not email because my email still has like 27,000 unanswered emails. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably my least favorite. Um, <laughs> does the app I use to control my air conditioner count? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't heard that one before. So there you go. <laughs> I'm in LA and it's hot. And now we can't go outside. We can't open the window now because yeah. it's fire. Is this the number you got to This is episode 53 and that's the first time we've heard so that app is very important. <laughs> Look, I can I can bullshit you with a lot of progress stuff, but that air conditioning app is number one. All good. Uh, all right. I think I love that app. It used to be called Linda, but I think it's called LinkedIn Learning now. And it's all just different courses about different stuff. I love that. I love, I'm going to lump a bunch of those in. There's like the masterclass thing. There's, I love those. I think I'm the only one that really actually watched those things all the way through. Because <laughs> I know the business model has to be, we're going to put out a lot of these and no one's ever going to watch them, but they're all going to subscribe. I watch them. I get my money's worth. Wow. And I've watched all the cooking masterclasses because I cook all the meals in our house. So like, you know, learning to blanch carrots and all that kind of stuff. I learned it. Like, so those apps are really important. And I'd say there's not called paperless. That's like lists. I make a lot of lists. Mm. Sometimes I don't follow them. Most of the time, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. So paperless is, is pretty. And it's not even, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. I don't like a lot of bells and whistles because I get confused easily. Uh <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't admit that on a podcast, but 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 if if there's a lot of like links to this and you know you're five places removed from just making the list, you yeah. know, then I get I get frustrated. So paperless is just what kind of list do you want to make? You know, here's you know whatever, and I do that. I do that when I'm cooking, especially if I create my own recipe for something. Then I'm like, oh, how did I do that? And then I'll just put it down. Or I use paperless for everything. So paperless. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Robert, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. This was great. Uh, yeah, this is fantastic. And, and for all of our listeners, they like to stay in touch and, and, and sort of follow you. What are some ways that they can reach out to you or, or stay in touch and follow you? You can follow me on Twitter where it's just, I think it's just at Robert Chateras. I'm, I'm a social media. I'm not as good as, good as I should be considering my business. But I'm going to say right now, it's at Robert Toteras, which is Toteras is spelled T-O-T-E-R-A-S. And also Insta, which is mostly pictures of my kids, my 11-year-old playing guitar, or, you know, that sort of thing. And so, so if you want to see that, it's all there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you, all of our listeners, for hanging out with us. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and just search Minority Report podcast and look for the logo. Have a good evening. Thanks.